in decades, if we get to artificial general intelligence or we get to large language models that are capable of generating complex applications, it's not going to replace engineers. It may replace coders, but we'll still the world will still need engineers. Hi, and welcome to Tech News This Week. I'm your host, Tech Target Editorial News Director, Anton Gonsalves. On today's show, uh, we're going to talk about Amazon opening its sidewalk wireless network to business, how generative AI could change the job of coding, and why security professionals hold back on disclosing security breaches that they should be reporting. First up is Amazon. Business with us, with us, uh, businesses with a subscription to Amazon's AWS cloud can now use its tools to build the software needed to connect consumer and business devices to Amazon's Sidewalk network. This is a big deal because Sidewalk reaches nine out of every 10 Americans, according to Amazon. Uh, here to discuss the ramifications of this is Jack Gold, Principal Analyst for J. Gold & Associates. Okay, so let's start with, uh, with you telling us uh, what Sidewalk is. So, so Sidewalk is interesting. Um, it, it's really kind of a stealth network that Amazon has been deploying for years. It's part of uh, their uh, Echo devices that are, you know, the the the, uh, the way that we ask them questions via audio, and it's also part of uh, their their camera system that we deploy. Um, you know, in our houses, outside of our houses, or wherever it happens to be, they put um, connectivity in in the, those devices that include things like accepting connections to low power Bluetooth, LoRaWAN, which is a wide area low power, low speed network. And what these things do is basically accept data from devices and then pump them over uh, our Wi-Fi connections or internet connections that we've had in our house back out to uh, AWS uh, for whatever, whatever applications we're going to run against them. So it's, it's really kind of a social-based, open-source, if you will, network uh, that leverages what uh, Amazon has been putting into the devices for some time. Okay, so how, how do you uh, foresee businesses uh, using, uh, using a Sidewalk? Yeah, so so sidewalk is interesting because Amazon claims it it covers ninety percent of the U.S. population, which is interesting. I'm I don't know where they get that number from actually, um, but uh, you know I can imagine if you're out in a in a rural area and there aren't a lot of uh, Amazon devices in people's homes, it's it's not covered. But certainly in a um, in, in a city or in, a, in suburban areas. There is a lot of capability uh, inherent in those devices, assuming, by the way, that people allow that to be turned on. I mean, you can go in and, and set that off if you don't want uh, people sharing your Internet connection, basically. But businesses can deploy technology that has a, a wireless chip built in, whether it's Bluetooth or whether it's LoRa, LoRaWAN, or, or they also use FSK 900 megahertz that essentially will send small uh, low-speed data to the internet. So think about, I don't know, dog trackers, or I'm walking down the street and I want to have my heartbeat um, or, or my, my uh, data sent to the uh, internet and not through my phone, or truck rolls, or um, you know, you're delivering food and you want uh, people to, to know when it's been delivered. By having low-cost 
smart IoT kinds of devices deployed, I can send that data to the, the cloud and get that information processed in, in, in whatever my application happens to be. Right, right. I mean, I did do a story uh, this week on a company on on asset intelligence that, you know, used it for tracking goods to the left, to their final destination in right. trucks. Uh, they didn't need real time right. you know, notification, you see. So so it worked. It worked fine for them. And, and that's, uh, you know, that's, that's my next question. I mean, it seems, you know, the carriers, of course, uh, could roll out. 5G for this purpose. We're, we don't know yet, but it's, it's a possibility. But it seems like Amazon is in a position where they can really, um, they could really hit the, the low end of the market. So I'm envisioning, you know, my Kindle being able to download a book without, without Wi-Fi, uh, a GPS collar for dogs, for dog tracking, that kind of stuff. Uh, is that how you see it also? Yeah, it, it's by the way, it's important to note what um, Sidewalk is not good at. Yes. It's not good at deterministic communications, meaning I've got to get the information out. I've got to get it now. And, and you know, it's, it's safety kinds of stuff, right? A fire alarm or, um, you know, I'm about to fall in a pit walking in the sidewalk. That kind of stuff that absolutely has to get out because you're basically hoping that there's a connection nearby. And if not, the data is going to wait and get sent when you have a connection. So that's what it's not good at. But what it is good at is low cost, basically no cost. Um, I, there's no such thing as no cost, of course, but there's no, no cost to connectivity. The carriers, the wireless carriers are rolling out network slicing in 5G. It's taken some time because the standard really hasn't been there and the technology hasn't been deployed yet. But what basically that will do is it allow the carriers to take a small portion of 5G and give it to you as a um, as a way of connecting your devices. The intent is to make it very low cost, but it's a low cost. And and so uh, Amazon is is basically promoting sidewalk as no cost um, connectivity. That is, there's obviously back end costs. And so that's the that's the the the, the issue. Now, five G is going to have better connectivity. It's going to have real time connectivity. You know, the kinds of things that we just talked about, fire alarms and that kind of stuff. Uh, but you know, if you're running a water meter, if if you send my data now or an hour from now, it's not going to make any difference. But if you're running a fire alarm, it is. So there, there's room for both technology to, in the space. But what Amazon is, is doing is they're you know, putting a stake in, in the ground saying, if you need low data rates at very low cost, we're, we've got a solution for you. And, right. and of course, they want you to leverage their back end cloud to make it all yeah, happen. Exactly. This is all about getting data, as much data as possible into the cloud, because ultimately that's what businesses pay for. All right, software engineers have good reason to fear for the job because of artificial intelligence. Uh, generative AI in particular is capable of performing uh, some coding tasks. Here to explain who should and shouldn't worry about uh, generative uh, AI is senior news writer Beth Parasol, who covers IT operations. Uh, Beth, welcome to the show. Hi, Anton. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Sure. Uh, you know, first question is, what is it that generative AI uh, can do well when it comes to uh, when it comes to coding? As far as people fearing for their jobs right now, the from what I know, and I'm not an AI expert, but from what I've uh, heard from experts um, about the impact on software engineers and IT ops professionals is that 
uh, large language models, generative AI uh, that can do coding like Codex, which is what um, GitHub uses for Copilot, can do things that are basic, boilerplate. Um, they can do a simple kind of application. And otherwise, things like GitHub Copilot can be compared to things like spell check, autocorrect, an autofill that you might have in Word or Gmail or email that predicts the next few words that you might type in a standard phrase. What large language models and generative AI are not is artificial general intelligence. Um, it can't actually reason about the data that it's learning from. It can't understand cause and effect, and it can't understand how to design a complex app to solve a particular business problem. So there may be an effect on junior developers, people looking to get in on the ground floor, starting with very simple um, coding jobs. There, there could be an effect on people doing contract development work where they're doing some of the lower level, um, more boilerplate code that needs to be written. Um, but in terms of the, the profession, you know, even in decades, if we get to artificial general intelligence or we get to large language models that are capable of generating complex applications, it's not going to replace engineers. It may replace coders, but we'll still the world will still need engineers. I mean, most most of coding. Well, I don't know if it's most, but there's a portion of coding that's that is routine, right? It, it's it's pretty much done the same way all the time. A portion, yep. A portion, okay. Because that, I mean, I'm thinking of the uh, the legal profession now. Uh, mm. Law firms, for example, are using artificial intelligence for. Uh, for contracts, uh, for certain standard contracts, you know, sure. uh, all the time. So I would, th I would think the same thing applies for coding. Uh, you know, what do you, so it is possible then that over time, uh, companies would need less or fewer coders? Uh, See, in the example of a standard contract in a law office, who that's going to replace first is a paralegal, not a lawyer. That's going to replace the legal secretaries and paralegals that are already doing that kind of rote work. So in the software world, the analogy would be to a junior developer, someone who's going to do kind of more of the grunt work, more of the basic stuff. There is a chance that that could become a less easy job to come by. Um, but as with a lawyer, someone who's done law school, who can reason about cases um, that are not standard, you know, I, I doubt that large language models uh, will replace their expertise anytime soon. So you know, it's not that there's not going to be any change, but I don't know that it's going to replace human beings other than in those kind of entry level positions for now. And, you know, we hear a lot also about a general IT skills shortage. There just aren't enough developers. There aren't enough skilled developers and engineers to go around, especially if you're not one of the um, unicorn startups or big tech vendors. So if you can get your hands on those precious resources, you don't necessarily want to pay them to spend their time writing boilerplate and basic code. Um, you want them to be solving business problems. Um, and, you know, if, if something can automate that boilerplate job, so much the better. Yeah. I mean, it is very similar to law firms in that uh, even if, if you use AI or when you use AI <clears throat> to produce a contract, you still need to have a lawyer review the contract once it's done. It's really a question of saving time of not having to actually write it up. Okay, finally, uh, security uh, firm Bitdefender surveyed 400 IT and security professionals 
uh, in companies with at least a thousand employees. Of those working uh, for U.S. companies, 70 percent uh, were told to keep a security breach confidential, while 55 percent kept a breach secret knowing that they shouldn't. Uh, here to explain uh, the why behind these numbers is security news writer uh, Ariel Waldman. All right, so why so why all the secrecy around breaches? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, it's not really a new problem. A lack of transparency into data breaches has been ongoing for years. Um, this report kind of just highlighted the scope, the current scope of it. And U.S. companies, uh, according to the survey that they did, um, were even less likely to report than companies located in the European Union. Um, one reason for that is because the general data protection regulations may require stricter regulations. Uh, they could they have to report in 72 hours or they could face high fines. Um, so that's one reason uh, comparatively that the U.S. is less likely to report breaches. But overall, um, reasons that companies don't report breaches narrows down to wanting to avoid reputational damage, potential financial and legal consequences, and as well as just not wanting to spend and utilize resources that the company doesn't have uh, while they're mitigating the, the response. Um, many companies are understaffed when it comes to IT and security as it is. So um, putting those resources to reporting and other things may not be possible at that time. I think um, reputational damage is one of the biggest fears, especially when sensitive information is involved and they have to notify customers on that. And there's also insurance companies are involved in this also. And uh, don't they play a role? Or what role do they play? Yeah, they're um, increasingly adding notification clauses. Um, so they're requiring companies to notify them before even law enforcement and other entities, um, which is a big, which is an increasing problem as well, especially as more companies adopt cyber insurance policies. That the uh, National uh, Cybersecurity Strategy, that's the White House initiative, the, doesn't that require, it requires uh, companies to report uh, on a timely basis on breaches? How, how, is, uh, how does that? I, I think it's not as strict as, for example, the GDPR, but um, in, the new national, in the new National Cybersecurity Initiative announced last month, one of aspects of it was requiring critical infrastructures entities to report incidences to CISA within hours. And mm. the White House said it's meant to improve efforts to identify root causes of incidents, among other things. All right. Well, were there any other interesting um, you know, elements in the uh, report? I think that one other interesting aspect is that nowadays, um, even if a company wants to keep a breach private, it's becoming increasingly difficult to do, especially with ransomware attacks. Um, ransomware groups are not even deploying ransomware sometimes in encrypting machines. They're just stealing data and they'll use that data to as an extortion threat. They have public leak sites and they, um, they'll put a company's name on this leak site and give them a, like, certain time to give in to their ransom before they leak all the data that they stole. And many researchers, they find, you can find these, um, these data leak sites, they're public. So customers will find out or um, other people, it's just 
brings awareness to the data breach that if, and then the company will disclose after right after that mm -hmm. so it's becoming much harder to even keep them private if they want to all right that wraps up uh this week's show you know thanks for for watching and enjoy the weekend